Welcome to the Faith Today podcast. I'm Karen Stiller. And I'm Bill Fladeris. Today, we are speaking very briefly with Alana Reimer, who is a member of the Faith Today team, editor of Love is Moving magazine, and for these purposes, host today of the Faith Today podcast. So Alana, you talked to Janet Noel Annabel about inclusion. Can you tell us a little bit about where that went? Yeah, so Janet works for Caris Disability Services, formerly known as Christian Horizons. So we talked a bit about belonging and what that looks like in sort of a more holistic way. And then also how to have a full conversation with bringing in people who have disabilities and recognizing their gifts. That's a topic that we touch on often in faith today, or we try to, because it's so important. I'm curious what really struck you personally about this conversation. I know in chatting with you after that you really enjoyed it. What touched you? I think two things come to mind. One being this idea of belonging, being where if you're not present, you're missed. Um, And then the other thing that really stood out to me was when you're not sure how to help, just ask. It's okay if you fumble. Yeah, that's great. Well, our listeners will surely find this helpful. And I can think right away in my own congregation where that is just something that we kind of need to continue practicing. Welcome, Janet. It's really nice to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Um, So... Karis Disability Services will be known to most of our listeners by its former name, Christian Horizons, and name changes are always messy and thus undertaken not lightly, right? So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why that name change and why you settled on this name in particular. Yeah, thanks so much. It's definitely been a bit of a journey. Um, The name Christian Horizons has served us so well for almost six decades. Um, But what we were really thinking about the future, we wanted to make sure that People who knew, who don't know us, people who know us know who we are, but people who don't know us really weren't sure who we are, what we do, and uh, why we do it. And so about a year and a half ago, we started a journey with our team at Christian Horizons, people who use our services, our board of directors, and all of our employees to think deeply about our name and whether or not we should make a change. Um, We wanted a name that reflected both who we are as followers of Jesus as well as how our faith motivates us towards action. Um, But we wanted to add something that kind of spoke to the work that we do really clearly so that people had no mistake as to the work that we're involved in and the things that we're concerned about. So we started um, an an exploration, I guess it was, to think about what name would fit us well. And we settled on, so excited about the name we settled on, Karis Disability Services. Karis reflecting um, it's a Greek word from the Old Testament that talks about the grace of God and how, uh, you know, who we are because of God's grace and love for us, as well as um, it leans to the word giftedness. And for us, we recognize that people with disabilities are created in the image of God and that God loves all of us, all of us human, as well as we want to really emphasize that people with disabilities are certainly um deserving and and need different kinds of supports and services but as human beings they are gifted as well and that all of us as humans work together within sharing those gifts in a in a gracious space so caris disability services um yeah i think we chose really well i'm excited what it means for us well i hope that the transition goes well i saw the the new website actually our website actually that's a really good point i'm glad you mentioned it so we have actually a landing page under our new name 
but we're still using our former Christian Horizon site because we're rebuilding our whole website. And to be honest, how our website focuses specifically on people who use our services, people with disabilities. And so we're going to get we're going to be excited to launch that in the new year, hopefully sometime in the springtime. And a lot of the work that you do centers around helping people with disabilities participate in and find belonging in community settings. So what does true inclusion and belonging look like in these settings? It's a great question. I think the way I often like to describe it is that inclusion means that there's a, a you have a right to be there. And certainly we live in Canada and there are wonderful charter rights and different regulations that ensure that people with disabilities have access to be in the spaces and places that they need to be and want to be. But belonging is a little bit more. Belonging means, I love to, John Swinton, who's a professor in Scotland, and he, he actually described it beautifully. He said, inclusion means that there's a right for you, a right for you to be there, but belonging means that there's a place for you to be, and when you're not there, you're missed, and someone goes looking for you. You know, all of us humans want to be known and want to know and want to be known. We want to be, we want to love and to be loved. And people with disabilities are no different. The idea of belonging where we get to receive other people's gifts and share our own gifts is something that every human being wants. And people with disabilities are no different. I really like that distinction of you'd be missed if you weren't there. I think that's a really important element of this. So what are some of the important aspects or priorities that need to be in place to facilitate that kind of space? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the starting with the perspective that people with disabilities are human beings just like anybody else and just what you need or I need, a person with a disability also needs. So to be welcomed, some people with disabilities need physical accessibility. So we need to make sure that our spaces are, are welcoming and, and able for people to get in and to, to fully participate. I remember years ago, I was at a conference and one of the speakers is a man who uses a wheelchair. And he was like the keynote speaker, right? The most important person at this conference. And yet when we had a break, he came back late from our break because he had to, in order to go to the bathroom, he had to go way down to the very basement of that, of that hotel, down long corridors to find an accessible bathroom. He wasn't able to use the conference bathrooms that we were using right outside the conference room. And it just reminded me of the challenge that people with disabilities often face that if you don't need accessible spaces, you don't often think about. But that's kind of a starting point. That's not the ending point. I think all of us need places where we have an opportunity not just to be welcome, but to share our gifts and have purpose in being in spaces. In preparing for our podcast today, I reviewed a couple of uh, stories that people have shared with us over the years. I was reminded about even, you know, something as simple as a church welcoming a person with a disability, not into a special place for quote unquote special people. Years ago, you know, there'd be pews set aside or even rooms set aside for people with disabilities, but to actually welcome people as co-congregationalists, as people who can serve, people who can sing in the choir, people who, you know, participate in the potluck, bringing what their wonderful casserole dishes, all those kinds of things are ways that people experience belonging. That's beautiful. In that process of, of sort of creating those spaces, how do you juggle that tension between the individual empowerment on one hand and healthy dependence in the community and the other? Because I'm hearing you talk about kind of both of those things at once in that description. You know, I think there's never been a time in at least any of our history as COVID to remind us how important we are to each other. 
certainly we all want to be recognized for our uniqueness and for our individualism to be recognized as whole people as we all are. But, you know, I think COVID was such a incredible, we all felt that loss so profoundly when we couldn't gather together and we couldn't be in the communities that we wanted to be in, you know, we missed our families, we missed our churches, we missed our workplaces, we missed our basketball teams. We missed so much. It's really important as a service provider that we help people develop their own skills and abilities to become independent as well as they can be in their day-to-day activity to get jobs, to find places to live, to represent what they think that they want in their community. We talk about people directing their own services, and that's really important to us. But we also need to make sure that there's space that we get to know each other as neighbors and community members, and that you know we all find belonging in different kinds of communities, different spaces. There's a really incredible organization here in Waterloo called Tamarack, and they talk about building community, and they share stories about knowing your neighbors well enough that you can bring soup to them if they're sick. And so in order to bring soup to somebody and know that they're sick, or sorry, when they're sick, is that you need to know, first of all, well enough to know that they're sick. You need to know what kind of soup they like. Are they vegetarians? Are they, do they like, uh, you know, a nice butternut squash soup like I like? And you need to have that comfort to be able to bring and show up at their door to bring soup to them. And I think that's the kind of the tension, right? We want to be able to have enough independence to be able to know or to, to be able to live in a space where we, you know, get to define what that is for ourselves. And then we want to build relationship with people to be reciprocal and to care for each other you know at different times we are needed or we need and i think people with disabilities like everybody else need to be needed from time to time and they sometimes are needing people to help them as well there's so many spaces a lot of the work that we do is to help people find their voice in their own community so finding what's meaningful to them whether that's from a faith perspective whether that's from an employment or volunteer perspective whether that's in their neighborhood associations, in their apartment building. A lot of the success that we've seen in people having really good lives is when our staff can be super creative in helping people build bridges or take down walls to be able to make those connections. They're building skills to be independent, but that independence allows them to be codependent on the people that they choose to be codependent with. I'm really curious, you you mentioned this idea of people driving their own support that they need. So could you give an example of what that actually looks like practically? Yeah, absolutely. You know, developmental services, so that's the sector that we work in. There's a lot of great organizations across Canada, and I'm honored and I feel privileged to serve alongside with wonderful community organizations that do this work. We've all been on a journey. You know, people with disabilities, developmental disabilities 50 years ago, even 20 years ago, were largely supported in these huge institutions that were created to kind of separate people from society, people with developmental disabilities. We've really grown in our perspective about how people with developmental disabilities live in communities and families and neighborhoods. But through that growth, you know, there's been continuing evolution of how services are modernizing and growing to not just to sort of care for and keeps people safe, kind of create a bubble around people so that we, we have uh, this idea that people are safe, but to actually really kind of step back a little bit and to listen to people with disabilities, listen to what they want in their life, 
and help them make choices about the services, the, the kinds of ways that they live that may not necessarily reflect the perspective of others in their lives, whether that's their family or supports. And, you know, at Christian Horizons, our Caris Disability Services, I'm still learning, we work really hard to think about what that looks like and how do we help people find their voice to make decisions about their life. Certainly funding is still mostly provided to organizations to provide that support. We're working with our partners and both in the sector and in government to help, I hope, influence a future where people actually have choice and control over their funding so they can choose service providers, they can choose the amount and level of supports that they require and truly move to a place where people fully direct their own services, people and their families. You know, families are a critical part of this mix. I think so often, you know, in my family, my kids grew up for sure. They have their own spaces and they make choices about their lives. They are still so critically connected to us as the parents and each other as siblings. We want to figure out a space that Harris Disability Services, our supports and staff, we have amazing employees, how they help navigate that space really well. That idea of being able to change the way that we support through money going to organizations that then feed it out to make it a little more personal and more empowering directly to the individuals who could then self-direct their needs. A lot of times helping people with disabilities can look like focusing solely on what their needs are. So how do we receive and welcome the gifts of people with disabilities that they have to offer as well? I'm wondering, does that mean getting over our need to help or save a little bit? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Many of us still hold this concept of sort of charity and benevolence as it relates to people with disabilities. In some ways, that comes from a good space, right? Like we want to uh, help people. We see people struggling and we, and we want to help them. And that's a good thing. I think that we need to reflect on the heart that people have to be helpful and to help people have good lives. I think how do we get out of the way? I think you said, I love that phrase, because sometimes helping people is actually getting out of the way. Oftentimes, our well-meaning approaches is sometimes more disabling than people's conditions. And so we want to figure out how do we, first of all, listen to the person and the person's family as to how we can best help. I don't want to minimize the challenges that people with disabilities face, and that is things like the awful circumstance we face in Canada today around decent housing, affordable, reasonably affordable housing, the lack of funding that we have for supports and services for people. You know, as an example, in Ontario today, there are tens of thousands of people that have virtually no services and are still living at home with their aging parents in their 80s and 90s. I heard a story last week about somebody whose mother is 93 and their sibling, their the mother's son, still lives at home. That mother is still helping them in and out of the bath, preparing all their meals, taking care of all their needs that they have day to day. And I think in Canada, we can do better than that. We're excited about the federal government's move towards the Canadian disability benefit. We're looking forward to that fully being rolled out. It's still sort of caught in the processes within government and people need that. That's an opportunity for income support to help people with disabilities, maybe afford better living conditions, housing, groceries, that sort of thing. And there's a real need for a national strategy on supports and services. We've seen other jurisdictions, places like Australia and the United Kingdom, really move towards people being entitled to services so that, you know, like education and healthcare, 
people with disabilities in Canada don't have access to services that they need just to be able to get up out of bed in the morning and live a safe and productive life. So we really need to focus on that. So I think, you know, as what can a regular person do? They can make that a priority for our government and decision makers and politicians. They can reflect that within their spaces that they work within. Like there, lots of people are connected to people with disabilities and we have opportunities to shape how people with disabilities are seen in every space that we're in. And so welcoming people and finding jobs and volunteer opportunities. There's a, a lady that we're connected to. Her name is Becky. And just recently she was telling us about, she wanted to sing in her choir at her church. And, you know, the choir was up on the altar and Becky uses a wheelchair. And so her mom and her spoke to the church leadership and they said, Becky really wants to sing in our choir. And they're like, oh, we can make that happen. And so I guess the folks in the church who are handy built a ramp and, you know, within a week, I think that ramp was in and Becky's mom knew that Becky maybe hadn't had any training as a singer. So she accessed some of the supports that she had to hire a music teacher, to teach her and get her up to speed with the rest of the choir members. And now Becky is a vibrant choir participant, leader in her church. She's at the front of the church, not at the back of the church. Those are all ways that we can create spaces and places for people to belong. Sorry, I kind of went on and on there, but I feel pretty passionately about this. And there's so many ways, you know, whether that's speaking with our government officials at a federal and provincial and municipal level, whether that's as employers offering jobs and employment and volunteer opportunities, or that's a church that makes their space accessible and welcoming to people with disabilities. That's fantastic. And kind of tying in, you mentioned some of the concerns and challenges around housing and access to finances and supports. We're also seeing healthcare and support worker shortages in many sectors in Canada. So how has that been affecting CARIS? Yeah, it's such a big issue for us. You know, our employees, we have about 3,500 employees across Ontario and Saskatchewan, which are the two provinces we work in. Our employees are amazing. They are so creative and committed through COVID. You know, when everybody else went home, our employees came to work. In fact, some of our spaces, people moved in to our residential group homes to be able to minimize the interactions that folks would have in, you know, people coming in and out of their living space. They are absolute heroes. They go above and beyond all the time. And right now we are so short staffed. And so that means our staff are working harder. They're working longer. We are grateful for the increases that government was able to give us during COVID for our employees but our wages haven't kept up with inflation these last few years. So we, we, we need more money. We need to pay our employees more. We need more employees that are willing to work. And just they're so critical to the success that people have in living good lives in their community. You know, we're not on like the hospitals that are short staffed. And if I could make a little, I don't know, plug for people to apply we provide great benefits. We're working to increase salaries all the time. We have a great space to work in. We provide training and opportunities for development with our employees. I started as a casual employee 35 years ago, then at Christian Horizons, and it's been an incredible career. I've been so blessed and fortunate in the work that I've gotten to do and walking alongside people as they 
make their way in the world. And just really, we are welcoming folks to come and work with us, to volunteer with us. And it is a it is a real pressure. And we hope that government is listening and that we continue to get funding so that we can continue to improve salaries. But yeah, our uh, our employees are phenomenal people. They do great work, for sure. And you mentioned when we were talking about welcoming, you mentioned some of the the needs or the areas that churches can come alongside and welcome. And so I'm wondering what, because I know that you do work directly to help equip churches to better support people. So yeah, what does that look like practically? Um, I know that you do that both in Canada and also globally, which is a big question, but I'm curious kind of what are some of the practical resources that you provide for that equipping? Yeah, so we, we kind of, I would say we work with churches in two ways. We work organizationally to help influence and shape church leaders' perspectives and some of the curriculum that's, you know, in helping as pastors go through schooling. We influence from a, uh, both here in Canada as well as overseas, some of the training and um, education that people have around, including people with disabilities. We have some incredible resources on our website. And we continue to invest and build those resources so that, you know, at a, at a leadership level in, in churches, both here in Canada and, and in many developing communities, um, the leaders in the church cannot start from ground zero to welcome people and create sort of a uni- universally accessible church for all people. We also work through our teams and our employees in helping people find faith communities that are meaningful for them both within the Christian community, but also within other religions that people find themselves a part of or want to be a part of. So we work really hard to help first acknowledge that people with disabilities are some of those people. Many of those people are people that want to be a part of a faith community. And then we work with that person and their family to figure out what that would look like best for that person. Ideally, in that circumstance, it's not our staff facilitating that in the long run. Maybe in the short run, it helps people get to whatever that faith community is, say a church. But hopefully, the staff member actually gets to fade out and that person connects with their church. We have some really cool stories where churches have come around people with a disability and welcome them. Maybe they help with transportation. They give them roles in the church, allow for people with disabilities to volunteer and participate and give back, help others in the church, whether that's, you know, serving in the Sunday school class or being a part of the communion team or maybe sharing a message on a Sunday morning, all the ways that we try to reflect that. We have a really cool program offering at Christian Horizons. It's called Family Camp. And we're just kind of seeing that really take root in the Christian community. And that's where we partner with a church and possibly a Christian camp. And we offer a fully accessible either week-long or weekend camp for families of people with developmental disabilities, as well as the person, whether their child or an adult with a developmental disability. And we provide, Karis provides staffing, as well as we welcome volunteers that come and serve and are matched with families. It is the most incredible time. Families tell us it's a week that gets them through the rest of the year. We want to grow that. We want that to be in many communities right across Canada, and we need partnerships with churches to do that. We have a wonderful long-standing relationship with Elam Christian Camp, where we started being a part of, they have a kind of a, a summertime camp all summer, and we started with being just, we would have a number of cottages set aside for us within their camp, and we had kind of like a little 
bubble within their broader camp. And at first, it was us coming in. And over the years, all those barriers broke down. And what happened over years is that people that just went to that camp for a family vacation became partners with us as volunteers. And they started to worship together and eating together. And, you know, I think the tubing on the lake there became quite an inclusive activity with the camp. And that's what we look for is those partnerships. So going forward, we want to continue to strengthen our relationships with the broader Christian community to be able to facilitate and offer those kinds of camps. Next weekend, we've got one in London for a weekend with a church there in London and a whole bunch of volunteers. It's going to be amazing. And then figure out, like, how do we, you know, we want to be a great partner with government and provide all sorts of services that are funded directly by government. But how do we also do a little bit more and through charitable donations and support from all sorts of different people, we've been able to build these family camps on the weeks and weekends, and we look forward to growing that in the future. That's amazing to hear about the sort of the slow practice learning over time and then developing new ways of doing things. And I imagine a lot of it takes time and practice like that. I'm curious around other kinds of partnerships. You mentioned a little bit about government involvement, but I'd be curious to know more what that looks like and if there's a particular way that you've been partnering with government where you've seen some good traction. You'd mentioned the disability benefit. I'd be just curious about an example where you've seen sort of more movement in a good direction. Yeah. I mean, well, we live in a great country. We, we really do. And I know we, you know, it's really easy to turn on the news and see all the conflict and challenges that we have, you know, the partisan stuff. And there's really good people in government trying to do really good things at every level. You know, we partner probably most primarily with the provincial government in Saskatchewan and Ontario. They fund us upwards actually over $200 million a year for our government-funded services. We're working to influence and transform social policy to move, as I mentioned earlier, from organizations receiving funding to actually people receiving funding and being able to shape decisions about how their supports are shaped around them. There's been phenomenal work. We work really closely with our partners, both in public service as well as at a political level, to continue to move the bar forward. I don't want to minimize the challenges we're facing with regards to funding shortfalls and inability to keep up with inflationary increases, especially in these years. But, you know, I can't say enough good things about what the government did to stand by us during COVID. We had wonderful support. We had wonderful commitment. And going forward, I'm confident that they're listening. I hope that people with disabilities continue to be a priority, not just for government, but for the society across Canada. Our communities are so much better when everybody has opportunity to participate and belong, not just for people with disabilities, but all of us as citizens. You know, we know that schools that include children with disabilities, those schools are better schools for everybody. We know that when a person has opportunity to help and be helped, their humanity takes a step forward, right? We get to be our best selves when we are able to do that. And that's for people with disabilities and people without disabilities. So going forward, I hope to continue to see disability services as a priority for all levels of government. I hope that at a federal level, we get this Canadian disability benefit rolled out so that there's real income support for people with disabilities. You know, during COVID, many Canadian citizens benefited from the CERB, the $2,000 or something a month. The government said that is the minimum that people need to be able to live on. We know that that was probably hard for people to live on that. 
people with developmental disabilities, people with disabilities in general who rely on pensions and, and government funding for their monthly amount receive somewhere at max about, about $1,100 a month. It's a huge difference between $1,100 a month and $2,000 a month. So we're hopeful that this Canadian disability benefit will get rolled out and that will be a huge step forward for a lot of people. And then continued effort to make supports and services available to every person with a disability across Canada so people can continue to contribute and participate in our communities. And what does that look like on the housing front? Because you mentioned that earlier as being another big concern. Yeah, housing is hard for everybody right now. People with full employment and decent incomes are struggling to rent apartments in these days or buy houses that the cost has gone out off the edge. The reality is, is that people with disabilities who are on limited pension amounts are almost blocked out of the market. So our hope, our request is that all new affordable housing projects include 10% of all available units for people with disabilities. And if we had that sort of carved off amount, we're hoping that government, the social policy will shift to ensure that there's 10% of all units available for people with disabilities. We believe that will make a significant change. It's a constant challenge that we have. I mean, CARES provides support to people in almost 300 physical locations across Ontario and Saskatchewan, and we could have 300 more. We would be thrilled. That would just sort of take off the edge of the iceberg. There's a lot of work to be done, and uh, we're hopeful (laughs) and optimistic that good changes are coming. And you mentioned a little bit about this earlier. I'm thinking of our listeners. What are some of the tangible ways that they can better come alongside those in their community who have disabilities? What does that look like starting maybe from scratch for some people? Well, from scratch, I mean, certainly check out our website. There's lots of ways that you can partner with Caris Disability Services. We definitely depend on government for a lot of the funding support that we get. We also depend on donors and donors provide huge opportunities for us to build better housing, to increase our family camp, to grow opportunities for people with disabilities. This past Friday night, right here in this building that I'm sitting in, we host a date night, I think we called it, for families. So families who have children, maybe they're children or adults, who live at home with them and really don't get any time off, you know, to go out for dinner or to go Christmas shopping. So we welcome people here and we had a whole group of volunteers that did crafts and those kind of things. We had a wonderful evening and we said to the parents, just go out and have a night out. Well, those things cost money. We don't use our government funding for those sorts of activities. So people can support us by making a donation. That would be an amazing help to the work that we do. They can also reflect people with disabilities as priorities for government. You know, in the years to come, there'll be elections. When MPs or MPPs come to your door, You can ask them, what do they think about services for people with disabilities? And let them know that that matters to you. At your church, you can think about, how do we reach out to that family who bring their son or daughter to church who look like they're struggling and they might need some help, maybe just offering to help? I often tell the story about a pastor who shared with me about a family in his church that they were expecting a baby and that found out through prenatal testing that that baby was going to have profound disabilities. And they were trying to decide whether or not they were going to continue the pregnancy. So they went for counseling, and the pastor encouraged them to really consider letting that baby be born, and that baby was a gift from God, and that God had a plan for that child. So the family went on to decide to let that child be born and welcome them into their family. For the first few years, they used to come to church 
Um, and when the baby was little, that was easy. But when that child started to move around and they wanted to put the child in the nursery so that they could uh, worship and the child could benefit from children's church, it was too difficult for the church. And so they started with one of them would stay home with the child and one of them would come to church and they'd switch week after week. And after a while, that got really hard. So after maybe a year or two, they stopped coming to church. The pastor ran into the family at, I don't know, Walmart or something someday and said, hey, we haven't seen you in a long time. Have you left our church or you moved on to another church? And they said, no, we're not going to church. And he said, well, why not? What happened? And he said, I miss our family that have been part of this church for a long time. They said, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. People look at us when our child is loud or when our child is maybe misbehaving. We don't feel welcome. And it just got too hard. And the pastor was really convicted. He said, we have failed this family. So I'd encourage fan- uh, churches to think about how do you support those kids that are really maybe a bit challenging to support? How do you come alongside families to say, you know what? We got this. You go take a break. You're on 24-7. When you're at church, you get to just be you. You don't have to be mom. You don't have to be dad. You don't have to be the therapist or the counselor. You get just to be mom or dad. And I just really encourage uh, churches to think about how they could do that. Check out our website for that as well. There's lots of resources. And um, if you don't find what you're looking for, give us a call. We'd love to think with you how we could help. And you also have the Faith and Disability Forum. I hope I use the name correctly, which is an amazing resource of articles around what disability and faith and in church looks like. They're going to be angry with that. I didn't mention it. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Yeah, there's um, there's a one that's a wonderful podcast, a wonderful forum, lovely conversations, uplifting. I often listen to them when I'm driving in the car, and I always leave uh, that car drive feeling just like, oh, I learned something else today. So yeah, thanks for mentioning that. It's a fantastic form. And I think for some people, there's that fear perhaps that there might be a mistake or you might not do it right, right? I'm not sure if you have experiences in your own life where you've kind of seen that move forward, right? You learn and you practice. So I wonder what encouragement you can offer to those who are just afraid of getting it wrong. Oh gosh, we all get stuff wrong, don't we? I think about in so many ways, I get stuff wrong all the time. My adult children love to remind me of that. <laughs> But, you know, that's the journey, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. I think life is messy. Someone talked about our voices and, you know, I sometimes I get the opportunity to be in a worship service with people we support and their voices, maybe their singing voice doesn't sound like mine does, although mine's not so great. But God, it's like a there's a, a heavenly beauty that happens when we lift our voices together and it's all perfect. It's absolutely perfect in his ears. So, you know, and embrace the mess, get messy, um, be willing to just ask. You know, I think one of the biggest we can, mistakes we can make as human beings as we journey together is to assume that the other person has it all figured out. I think we're all just trying to figure it out together. And so having an open-heartedness, uh, an open, willing sort of how can I help posture, I think is a wonderful way. I don't know if you've ever been in church, but Certainly, I have had um, times when I've seen families really struggling. We have a family in our church whose child has autism, and some days can get really hard for them and their child. You know, different things can be very challenging for that child, and then there's there's been really hard moments. I've seen people in my church just go up to that family and put a hand on their shoulder and say, "Hey, what can we do to help? Can I get you a cup of coffee?" or 
want me to take your child for a walk around the building while you just sort of sit for a few minutes. It's just that offer what you can. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be well thought out. Just be human together. And I think that goes an awfully long way. Volunteering to sit with a child in children's church or in, in Sunday school so that the family can take a little break. Volunteering to maybe make a, a casserole or a dish. Maybe I'm showing my age, aren't I? People don't make casseroles anymore. <laughs> make a meal for somebody that you know is struggling. Get together and, and build a, you know, offer to build a support network for a family whose child was just born with with disabilities because those first few years are really a journey for that family and anything we can do to just show them love and, and be a part of them and say, you know what, we love your kid and they are a part of our church family. Those are great ways to to just take a step. Just take a step. That's, that's the, the message I guess I'm sharing is don't be afraid to take a step. That's really empowering. And we should definitely bring casseroles back. <laughs> My my final question is, is what encouragement would you offer for those who are listening who are experiencing a disability? Yeah, great question. You know, so often we talk about people with disabilities and not to people with disabilities. And, you know, there's no one size sort of a person with a disability is this. All of us have different things that we journey with, whether it's temporarily or for a long time from the disability perspective. You know, the number of people in Canada today who are challenged by disabilities, physical disabilities, chronic health illness, or chronic health challenges, mental illness, aging issues where you're losing mobility or losing cognitive capacity. Disability is real for soul, for all of us in, in one way or another. And I guess my message to all of us as humans is that it's not a, a static thing. In all likelihood, at some point in your life, you will face challenges related to your ability or your changing ability or uh, the onset of something that make, changes life for you. And I think the more that we don't kind of see special people and special services as opposed to our community is together and we all benefit from the appropriate supports and services in our lives that allow us to fully be human, to fully live decent lives of contribution and participation. I would encourage people with disabilities to reach out and use your voice, advocate for yourselves, um, participate, know that you have a right to be there. You are included. There are places, you have laws that say you have a right and you want to find those places where everybody gets to belong, which every place should be, but look for that spaces where you belong and, and find the place where you want to be and you want to contribute and you want to participate. Our communities, I said earlier, are better when everybody uh, has an opportunity to belong. Thank you, Janet. What a really rich conversation. Well, thank you, Len. I so appreciate the opportunity. Your questions were fantastic. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.